We felt we couldn't start today's podcast without referencing the events of this past week. I'm sure you are all aware of the murder of George Floyd and the protests for justice it has sparked, not just for him, but for all of the violence against people of colour, not just in the US, but here in the UK too. We are trying to be better allies. We have started sharing various resources for us all to educate ourselves. There is lists of books, podcasts, articles, film and TV shows to read, watch and listen to. You will find them on all our social media and in the episode description box. Now is not the time to be silent. Now is the time for action and that action takes many forms. In the words of American poet Lindsay Young, Resistance is not a one-lane highway. Maybe your lane is protesting. Maybe your lane is organising. Maybe your lane is counselling. Maybe your lane is art activism. Maybe your lane is surviving the day. Do not feel guilty for not occupying every lane. We need all of them. It's also June and it's Pride Month. Our LGBTQIA sisters and brothers, as always, we are with you. As we all know, if it wasn't for Marsha P. Johnson, Stonewall would not have happened. So protest beautiful humans and change will come. Persistent and Nasty Podcast is a series of interviews and informal discussions with inspiring women and other marginalised voices in theatre, film and beyond. From actors to activists, we aim to amplify these voices and invite the world to stay nasty. Hi everyone and welcome to another Persistent and Nasty podcast. Elaine here. I hope that you are all doing as well as you can be. Um, Today's episode is with my very good friend Monica McGee. Monica is an opera singer and I spoke to Monica about four or five weeks ago. So we were probably in about week four, maybe even week five of lockdown. Who knows? Who can remember? Um, We have a really great chat. There is lots of laughter. There is talk about how we find our career, how we find our path um, as an artist, as a performer. It is who we are. It is part of what we do. We also talk about a good old bold red lipstick and why on certain times in your life you really need that drive and that um, that power that, that that bold lip gives you. So yeah, we cover a lot in this episode. Monica also wanted to start a drinking game, which you will hear later, halfway through. Um, Monica's a bit of a crier like myself, so anytime she talks about the fact that she cried, I'd say have a drink. If you're listening to this during the day, then just down a wee mouthful of coffee or tea or water or juice or, what, or ginger, if you're in Scotland. Whatever you're having, stay well, stay safe. And for those of you protesting at the weekend, please look after yourselves. Remember to wear your masks and try to be as socially distanced as you can. Take care, all of you lovely, lovely people. Sit back, relax, enjoy. 
Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of Persistent and Nasty. Today I am joined by one of my very, very good friends, Monica McGee, who is an opera singer and who is usually based in London, but right now she is home in Glasgow as we are all in lockdown under COVID-19. So this is going to be fun. <laughs> Hi Monica. Hi, I'm so much more Scottish at this moment because I've been in Scotland for a month, so I've lost any of my kind of like Anglo accent when I'm in London so this is the most Scottish version of me it's actually true now that you say that I'm like oh yeah isn't it uh, yeah. honestly honestly I become more Scottish every day I spend with my parents in this house the mother wall is beaten back into me the well <laughs> the well the shire <laughs> for those of you not from Scotland it's lovely beautiful I'm in a beautiful state of being <laughs> How are you actually on on that on that serious note? How are you doing? Actually, I'm doing really well. I think it's um a time to reflect on gratitude because I'm really lucky that I have um I came back to Scotland before I foresaw all the lockdown coming. And so I made an escape from London uh in March. Uh, middle of March before the lockdown happened uh, so that I could be at home with my family because my parents obviously it being not London have a much bigger house than I have in London and and our garden is really big and my family live on the edge of a sort of nature reserve as well so there's the woods I can go run in for my one piece of exercise a day Um, and also my sister and her husband are NHS doctors and if there is uh, emergency childcare needed, I don't want my parents to have to be the ones to take the children. So it was yeah. just much uh, better for me to be here. I could be of some use to people um, and I can just uh, do my own work here, which is much nicer. How are you doing? I am all right. Ups and downs. Yeah. Ups and downs. I'm finding it very, um, yeah, I'm very angry. I'm having to genuinely avoid all forms of news. I don't watch the news. I don't watch uh, these government things. I prefer to watch Thor in all of the states of Thor. (laughs) All the Thor movies, all the Marvel movies, I've finished them all and I can honestly recommend them because the marvel of that body just makes you feel so much better. I applaud (laughs) good hard work. I think I know what went into that because if I work out every day in my garden, every day, I look nothing like that. You, so our listeners can't see what Monica McGee looks like. <laughs> I, because we've been friends for a long time, know that that is a damn lie and she is smoking and there is some fabulous abs. I saw your work on your arms the other day and I was like, look at those babies. Look at them. Wait. The one with the axe, in my, which one? There's one with an axe. Oh, the, the axe hands. is great, but then yeah, there's one my, you were yeah. on the swing. Oh, so I've turned, yes, my dad is really crafty, as you can see from the axe video, actually. Uh, my dad is we'll really crafty. We'll link all this, guys. <laughs> well, I will link it all. I'll just find it on Instagram. Okay. Uh, my, dad, my dad is very handy with like building stuff. And so he built a whole, do we call it a jungle gym playground? What, what do people call yeah. it? Yeah. A playground uh, for my niece and nephew, who obviously can't come and play because of isolation so I have turned the playground into I have this thing called home gym that I do with my mum and my sister facetimes in so we do that and I thought I'd get creative trying to stay healthy during all this because you know, it's a respiratory disease and if you could be as healthy as possible 
fight that off. Uh, and so I just got creative and I turned the children's playground into uh, different pieces of apparatus. And because I used to be a gymnast um, a long time ago, I decided to try the, I think you called like the rings when I was yeah, doing it was the, a, yeah, 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 the handstands the yeah. in there with the rings. Yeah, so um, I'm already planning which ones to do tomorrow. I love it. I know. Enjoy that. So that tomorrow. Yeah. of Thor, you are on that. Yeah, <laughs> he's my motivation. He is your motivation. Day, I'm like, what would Chris Hemsworth do? Well, it's a great question to ask in life. I feel what would Chris Hemsworth do? I totally do? agree. He is a sweetheart. Actually, he's very... he's very funny. I have to. I very much appreciated some comic timing, and I thought I applaud that because yeah. he comes across, I think, as someone that actually had to work on skills. Instead of just being, you know, when people are really beautiful mm-hmm. all throughout their school life and then they don't have a personality, God bless those ugly years in the 90s that I had where I was like it, I think is the word. <laughs> so true though. So I just think I really applaud people who, who who acquire other skills to do with their personality and don't just rely on... Yeah, you know, I, I agree. I don't think he does just rely on that. He is actually talented. He also comes across as a really nice guy. I follow him on Instagram. So, Chris, please don't I just started. Fo- I just started following him on Instagram because I heard there were fitness videos. So I said yeah. to my little sister that uh, at the end of this lockdown, when we've been working out with our workout program for, what, 10, 12 weeks, the challenge at the end is to do a Thor workout at the end. Amazing. <laughs> that is getting you through quarantine goals that is getting me. I think that's what everyone has to have just now is what is the thing that is getting people through so for me it's working out and singing so each day I'll do some working out and I'll I'll look at some music look at some marias look at some songs um my little sister's doing a lot of painting that's her thing every single day she's doing painting so I think everyone needs their thing you need definitely need something my first week I was really good I was like yep I'm up I'm on it it's all grand everything's happening then mm-hmm. week two I was a bit like oh yeah wee bitty flat week three and week four were write-offs yeah and I basically have done my usual and eaten and drank my feelings but that's okay <laughs> I uh, and then going on rants on really Facebook unwell, which is a blessing oh, I'm just sitting right. here you know, this is I she's got a it's a soul I, I don't know it's a beer I've never had a beer um <laughs> <laughs> I haven't. I've I never had a beer. It's one of my favourite things to put in those, you know, those theatre games when you start on a contract and everyone has to get to know each other and you go, we're going to do this game and it's um, two truths and a lie and you have to work out which one's the lie. Love that game. Because I've got so many rid- ridiculous things about me that everyone's like, none of these can be true. <laughs> and actually, yeah. most of them are. I know. It's always the one that's not true that's the hardest for me because I've got so many ridiculous things. Which we're going to get to, which I'm excited about. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Right, let's do the proper bit of like, tell us about, tell us about your career, how you got started. Did you always want to be an opera singer? I did always want to be an opera singer uh, because I have this very, very vivid memory of being, I'd say three. And um, so I have an older sister and a younger sister and we'd always have math time, which was very special time for us and my older sister and I were in the bath most children of the 80s and 90s had bath time so it's okay I mean do children these days not have bath time I mean I don't know if they still do it together like we used to do oh it was just the great I mean this is even how weird this was my dad would film it as well as like classic childhood there's the photo of the compulsory naked baby in a bath picture we all had it it was the 90s 
And um, ETs for me, but that's okay. We'll, we'll move on quickly from that. <laughs> I made it into the eighties. And <laughs> so I remember making up the most ridiculous "A Baba Black Sheep" the opera, which, in hindsight, I assume was just me squawking at the top of my lungs and bastardizing some nursery rhymes. Um, but my dad had an LP of Phantom of the Opera. And I don't come from a musical family. I am currently teaching my parents piano because neither of them can read music. So not musical at all. But he had an LP of Phantom. And so that was the only thing that belonged in any way, shape or form to that kind of sound world. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we had a Tchaikovsky CD, which had the major violin concerto someone who has listened to this and going it's an app called that but that's what I think it's called um and I was so obsessed by it. I just thought it was amazing this kind of orchestral thing and then we had a random Mozart CD um and it had Edita Grabrovra singing Martum alla Artum and I thought it was the greatest thing I had ever heard in my life and it actually still might be um and that was it I was just this hideous child of showing off and um I think the moment we realized that this really was something was a Christmas carol concert in our home cathedral Motherwell Cathedral and it was O Come All Ye Faithful belter of a tune and the descant part was coming and I would have been eight I think singing in my school choir and I morphed on to the descant line and then started singing all these like top G's and stuff. And I just felt so natural to be on the top line. <laughs> I couldn't believe people were trying to make me sing an octave below everyone else. I was like, I don't belong here. Um, and so I just gravitated up the octave. And I just remember my mum, obviously she was in church, so she didn't see it. But I think she thought, oh, we're fucked. Um, but obviously didn't see it in church. Yeah. Um, and that was it. That was me absolutely sold. I was obsessed. I did want to be a Bond girl. Okay. Uh, for a while. Uh, now, and an, an Olympic gymnast. Those those were the three things. So, so basically everything involves showing off. <laughs> that was me. Horrible child. No, not horrible. You just knew who you were. The Bond girl is a very interesting choice. What was this being a feminist podcast? Yeah, I always, re- I think I've always really enjoyed uh, female strength. I think because I really liked it as a gymnast and I was always so... Um, in love with the the things your body could do if you made it strong. And I've always loved the idea of, even now, actually one of the main reasons I work out is being alone in London. I need to always know that I could self-defend. Mm. And I, I think it sort of comes from that. I've always loved the idea of women, and people say Bond girls are hardly feminists, but I really like the ones that used to like, who was the one that used to kill people when she was having sex with them because they were bad? I thought she's got the right idea. She knows she's an efficient technique she had. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's true. Um, so I always really like the kind of badass, strong, but then they were always in an evening gown, which really appealed to the opera side of me. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. it, just, it, was it was a just, good mesh. Yeah. So my dad and I always, it's our sort of thing as well, watching Bond movies together. And we always say we're going to like dress up in a tux in an evening gown and go see a Bond movie. Great. It's so, so yeah. funny. I used to love Bond. I think when I was younger, my granny is a big film. She'd watch everything. Mm-hmm. And now I just watch them and I'm like, oh my God, they're so sexist. But I'm having this with loads of things at the moment. 
Yeah, but see, I'm uh, the thing is, like opera plots, people would say they're really sexist as well. So sometimes I think it's so these kind of story lines and that kind of balance is almost part of the narrative that I'm involved in anyway. So because mm. I know the stories rather than what it actually is, I mean, no one is driving a car off a building and then jumping out of it and landing in a plane. So I kind of forgive the story. <laughs> This story because I'm like, well, none of it's real. Do you know what I mean, Daniel Craig, you do not look like that in the flesh, mate. I mean, he's not a Thor, he's not a Thor. Let's just put it out. <laughs> Chris Hemsworth for the next Bond. No, anyone? I'm surprised that hasn't been suggested actually. Let's start the hashtag. Okay, great, great. Um, <laughs> I don't know where to go. No, but I know the story thing is, but then I start looking at things like, so I went to rewatch Friends. Oh no! And then did you start to pick apart all the uh-huh. like when Ross is just? But then it's, when you but come at just, it from a, I call it when you have a three sixty. When you've experienced life enough that you now have a three sixty. Yeah, you know, it's really difficult. I still it's love just, it though. I think it's because it was the first time my name was used in something other than you know giving presidents blowjobs sort of way that I really enjoyed <laughs> <laughs> having a different Monica to look up to. And actually, she's an amazing female, Monica Lewinsky. If you follow her now, all oh, the stuff that she's she done. She is incredible. Like the press. Talk, yes, she's Press brilliant. destroyed her. But anyway, that's a whole other thing. So, I you destroyed my name knew, in the 90s. Always knew that you were going to be an opera singer. So, yes. tell everybody what, what your path was, Monica. Where did you train? So, I started life, musical life, playing the piano. Uh, and so, I ended up. Uh, and also played, my parents were really incredible. They let us all play piano, learn an orchestral instrument and sing. So that was sort of the kind of triple threat of going, okay, you can play in an ensemble, which gets musicianship skills. You can play piano, which is for me the best instrument anybody can learn. Um, And then you can sing. So I went to, it's now the RCS, but I still call it the RSCMD because... I just can't. It's like when people still call them by their maiden name, even when they're married. Um, so the RSC, <laughs> I can't get over it. I went no, there. No, I still call it the Academy. I'm like, I'm the Academy. The Academy. I know we call it oh. the Academy. And the problem is in London, people are like, oh, the Royal Academy. And I'm like, no. <laughs> <laughs> Love you, Royal Academy. Um, and I went there as a junior student as a pianist. Uh, so I actually was a first study piano player, not a singer. Did second study singing and played in the orchestra. Um, I think I always knew I was supposed to be a singer mm-hmm. and I played in a piano competition I'm really sad that I can't give a video to demonstrate this but I'll try and describe it as well as possible I played in a piano competition that my dad came to see very big fan of Debussy and Rachmaninoff and um, everyone was coming on to play and it was obviously kind of teenagers uh, very studious and I was never disciplined enough to be a fabulous piano player. The discipline you need is extraordinary. The hours at a key, and I'm too much of a social butterfly for that. I'm too much of an attention seeker. I can't be locked in a room myself that length of time. I need people to go, ah, Monica, you look great. And um, (laughs) I... Remember, they were all coming on and and sort of awkward teenagers because they spend a lot of their time practicing. And so no one really, pianists aren't quite as, gosh, what's the word I'm going to use? I can't use self-obsessed as singers. What's the word? Um, (laughs) But you have. 
I mean, I have. Um, they don't lap up the limelight. This is true. They don't enjoy the limelight as much as singers because it's a personality type. And a lot of pianists spend their time repping for rehearsals or accompanying singers. And so they very much, even though it's wrong, feel that it's a kind of back foot back I'm making a gesture that you can see um, and yeah, behind the very much behind the singer and behind the instrument so one by one everyone comes on and they do a very kind of just a head nod as they come on to sit at the piano and no one really bows as they finish the piece it's a quick head nod off I go I came on and my dad was like this is the woman I knew you are not a pianist and I put one hand at the side of the piano and I did my like metropolitan opera bow where you kind of like almost like a ballerina, bowed down low to the piano. I must have taken about 10 minutes to come on and off. Um, <laughs> and I just thought, I'm just not a pianist. My dad was like, you just don't belong in that crowd, darling. Um, and also I was shit compared to everyone else. So <laughs> I highly doubt that, but... No, really. Uh, so I then studied the undergraduate course there as a singer, fully fledged, went to the dark side. Um, so I did the BMAS there, but I still played piano. Every week I would play for classes if someone didn't turn up. Um, so playing piano has been a huge part of my life. Um, I then, I actually left my degree early to move to London. I got a job uh, singing in the chorus with Grange Park Opera uh, and was also given a place on the master's course at the Royal College in Kensington. So I didn't finish my degree. I left in the March and then had to come back at the summer when my summer festival contract was over, finished my degree, which you came to see. I did. I'm going to tell the story. Elaine came to see. <laughs> she knows the story. I knew you were going to tell this. Elaine. I was literally like, she's going to find a way to bring this story in. <laughs> Elaine came and with my dad, actually. Yeah. And so when you were sitting together, uh, my dad, I think, was just behind you yeah. guys. And um, I was doing, I think it was a set of three Kurt Vile songs. It was. Um, which they were actually very good songs. Amazing. And the first one, Elaine just loved it so much <laughs> that as soon as it finished, she gave the loudest clap. <laughs> and then no one else clapped. And yeah, that just, was the rules, though. I was like, why is But neither did that. No, see, this is the thing that annoys me with opera, is that... It's all these, this is the rule, this isn't the rule, someone doesn't know the rule. See if you think something is good, just clap because no singer has ever been annoyed when someone has clapped because it means someone liked what you did. It was honestly like, it was so beautiful. And I just remember being so caught in, in your performance and your voice and the song and all of it. Okay. And that's true. I'm so jealous a million times. And then I was just like, well, I'm clapping. Yeah. And I remember turning around and looking at Zoe and she's like, don't clap babe don't clap and but like, my dad yeah. clapped as well the but your dad then clapped so dad. I was like yes me and daddy <laughs> McGee um yeah so that was so I finished the degree then and then I stayed a tiny little bit because I was covering um in Carmen for Scottish Opera so I stayed up a little bit um into the August and then went back and Scottish Opera let me cover the role from London so I just had to have my phone on until midday in case I needed the call um, but I was obviously understudying the healthiest vitamin-popping soprano of all time because I was the only cover that didn't do a show in the whole run. Um, and then I just never came back from London. <laughs> and then you never came back. I never came back. You yeah. do need to tell the next part of your story, though. Oh, the next. 
<laughs> so I'm, I'm like a cat with so many lives. Um, so then, do you mean the Amore part? Yes, I do mean oh, the I Amore so. part. Okay. So then when I was at the Royal College, um, through a convoluted sequence of events, I signed a record contract with Warner Brothers. <laughs> it was such a ridiculous time. Um, so there was four of us. So a soprano, that was me, a mezzo, a tenor and a baritone were put together. The idea was that we would be the link between Catherine Jenkins and what she has brought to the table in terms of classical music, bringing it to an audience. But that doesn't relate to putting people into the audience in an opera house. There's still quite a gap between what she does and the albums, for example, that my favourite people do, like Natrebko, Georgiou, Renny Fleming's different, but um, there's no crossover there between the people that buy that album and buy the other album. So we were supposed to be this group that would bridge that gap. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had fun doing it, but it just wasn't quite the right thing for us because we couldn't really agree on how to do it. So the first meeting... <laughs> and I've just always been such an opera person. It's just like there's something in me that happens. I cry all the time. It's like it's in my blood. Like when Peter Parker gets bitten by that spider and then it's through his veins. That's just me. And um, she I does cry all the time. That's my reference. I cry all the time. I had a meeting I actually today. Through the last time, every time we see each other, <laughs> at some point in a conversation, the two of us are crying. <laughs> Always, I can every cry. time. <laughs> I had a meeting for a work thing um, for next season and it was new people via a Zoom meeting and the meeting started at 2.30 and by 2.42 I was crying. (laughs) (laughs) I just thought they might as well know now that this is what I'm like so it's not a surprise in rehearsals. In September going, surprise, she's crying. Um, So we had all these ideas of I said, oh, you know, we could do um, the, the quintet in Così Fantutte and there's a, a quartet at the end of the Lelisi d'Amore and then um, someone in the Warner office went, I have no idea what you've just said. <laughs> I was like, oh, scale it back, Monica. Um, I, I shan't bash it because actually it's, I'm a firm believer because I've had so many strange chapters in my life that you can't wish a chapter away or wish it differently because I think it, informs how so many other decisions that branch from that are made or the consequence of those actions um and there are some really fun things you know my my parents got to come and see things that they would never have seen and opera isn't a world that they immediately understood Mm -hmm. for me to go into and although they are immensely proud it's quite difficult for them to understand a lot of it whereas for once and I was so young I was 20 three yeah you oh my were so god weird, yeah such a baby and I think I was too young to really you kind of get pushed around but I remember we um did a photo shoot and I hated the outfits so it was about six or seven outfits and I just hated I felt so uncomfortable in one of the outfits and I just felt too young and too green and naive to say anything so I thought these are all people that you know there's a stylist and there's a photographer there's a makeup artist here were and um I didn't say anything. And so when all the photos came through, I was like, I, I really, I can't stand how this looks. And not in a horrible way. Someone just went, why didn't you tell us? Because it just saves time and money. Yeah. And it was a real learning curve for me of going, you are allowed to say how you feel. I think I was too young 
Do you think if you'd been a guy, you would have said how you felt? Oh, the difference between the way that people treat the boys and treat the girls is outrageous. The things that I watched in this world. In the opera world in particular or within the music industry when you were with Warner Brothers? Obviously, we don't want Warner Brothers to sue us. I doubt they're listening to us. But no, they're going to be fine. It's all right. We parted on good terms. It was more like a, a nice breakup than a nasty divorce. Um <laughs> No, I think I've always been fascinated by the difference. I mean, it's two parts there. There's a huge difference in the opera world, which we'll go on to in a minute, because that's even more interesting. Um, but in the the other side of it, the difference between I was never the person that wanted to be all this kind of like model stuff and having to constantly be like thin and pretty. That's not my job. My job is not to be thin and pretty. My job is to sing and to try and sing as well as my body will allow me to. And so the kind of scrutiny on red carpets really, really got to me. And that is just not the same for boys. And there was an article we sang the national anthem at Wembley Stadium at the FA Cup final. There's, I don't know how many hundreds of millions of people are watching. And... My dad was able to come and see it, which is a huge deal. He's a huge football fan. To have his child at Wembley, yeah, he doesn't have any boys. So that he was like, well, this is great. I would never have worn an outfit that I wouldn't want my dad to see me in. Mm-hmm. But even if I was wearing an outfit, I would deem it to be appropriate for the occasion, regardless. And the articles that came up online on a very specific website about me were awful and then the abuse that I got from people for wearing a dress because a cameraman a male cameraman had zoomed in on my cleavage whilst I was singing I cannot help the size of my chest like this is women you can't change that really you can it's like your foot size you really can't change that unless you're going to drastically drastically diet it's the or last have, place or you, have operation, and why should you have, have to ha- I mean, have I'm an a, operation? I'm a, yeah, I'm a double F. It's they're just there; they always have been. That's fine. That's why my gymnastics career was never <laughs> going to take off. They've been whacking off the beam, <laughs> bouncing back, um, and I just remember top thinking, heavy, this top, is, heavy. <laughs> "Top heavy, I wasn't balancing well, darling." And um, I just remember thinking, "This is something that these boys do not have to deal with, and it's not something that." Cr- would cross the minds of the guys to even protect us from and I was called like a fat whore online and people telling me that I wore this outfit because I'm such a shit singer and it was just abuse that I don't believe men have to tolerate no one picks apart a man is in a suit is just oh he's in a suit and then the week later I was at the formula one ball in a different dress and um it was suddenly, oh, well, look how elegant she looks. Piss off. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry, you are pitting against images. I reserve, I mean, some of the stuff I have worn on nights out in my time when I was a student are ridiculous. You go on theme nights out. I reserve the right to wear what I want. And if you have a body shape that has either voluptuous breasts or like a juicy ass, why does someone have the right to tear that apart in terms of what you're wearing are we all supposed to wear some form of sack so that not an ounce of our body is promoted in any way no like 
no, I'm sorry. It's ridiculous. But then they, they wouldn't want that either because look at the backlash that Billie Eilish is getting for not wearing form-fitting yeah. clothes. Yeah. Or I was thinking this uh, Greta because she still wears kind of young-ish stuff even yeah. though she's, what, 16, 17? Yeah. And it's, you just can't win. I was one of those famous drowned rats at the Queen's Jubilee. Yes. Right? So that made worldwide news and we were called like heroes and heroines and, you know, you're almost collapsing from the cold because I was just in plain black. My face was drenched. My hair, I mean, let's not even go there, was like wringing it out. And because that conforms to this kind of, oh, sweet girl that's quite sympathetic, everyone has a different projection onto that as they do to someone who, I mean, the daily, it was the Daily Mail online. There you go. A shocker. Shocking. Had trawled through my Twitter and my Instagram to find tweets and posts where I had thanked my hairdressers for like doing my hair so they could go, well, she was clearly pleased with how she looked. And because suddenly you're not drenched in like some underdog, but you're in diamonds and a designer dress and your hair has been done, suddenly that makes you uh, fair game to pull apart mm-hmm. and I don't understand this because it's the same person singing the exact I sang the national anthem on that boat and I sang the national anthem on that pitch and the only difference was I was in a dress and a male cameraman zoomed in on my chest yeah I don't control any of that and yet somehow women are still the ones that people take rage anger how dare she look like that how dare she think she's allowed to look like that oh bugger off Mabel and it's made, and actually the interesting thing was and this is what saddened me the response from the different genders so women were horrible to me online mm. and men were at <laughs> I mean, it was funny no one was inappropriate but men received that in a different way and I don't really understand this I love beautiful women I love strong women I love fabulous women I just do Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman. I mean, I would like to be the love child of her and Thor. Um, so I I never understand this kind of hatred towards mm. other women. And I, I'm very much, a, you know, I sit in rehearsals and I look at the ballerinas and I just drool because I think what you can do with your body is amazing. You go, girl. Yeah. I think that's the it's press though, isn't it? And it's how we are pitted against each other from pitted a against really each other. I, early age. Yeah, and people, because there's obviously two guys and two girls in the group, and people go, well, do you get on? Of course we I remember on. you telling me this, and I remember it was like, straight away they wanted some sort of cat fight between the two yeah. of you. And then what was, the other thing was really interesting, when I... I was Did they ask concert, the boys if they got on? Yeah, exactly, exactly. When I was doing a concert out in uh, Monte Carlo, and it was me and two guys that were singing, and the interesting thing was, everyone said to me, so which one is your boyfriend? Mm-hmm. And I was like, Neither. Why do you assume that a woman has to be having some form of sexual relationship with someone she's on stage with as as if we always have some form of chemistry that we can't control as opposed to, this is my job is to pretend that I'm in love with this one or we're having some form of free soul. It's my job. I'm grateful that you think we're together. It means I did a good job, but um, he's gay. Yeah. (laughs) So snaps to him as well for making you think he's great so yeah well well played my friend um that's what I learned from that one and then the opera world is very difficult to be even between men and women and it's just the bane of my life men are allowed more years to become young artists than women I have started 
troll I think trolling is the only way to describe it. <laughs> trolling competitions on Facebook when they announce that they're so excited that applications have opened for the International House of Bill Canto competition. I'm just making up a competition yeah. here. Um, and uh, age limit is 32. So I think, brilliant, I'll go apply for that. No, sorry, if you have a vagina, it's 28. But it's a pair of balls, 32. Why? Why is this? Why is this? Um, or, I mean, that's quite common, which is to have different age limits for men and women for competitions and young artist programs in Europe. Why? And I put this... People try and say it's because voices, well, male voices just age at a different rate or their voices had to break. Someone tried to say this to me on Twitter, right? I put this whole thing, I shamed an opera house on Twitter ages ago and I said, why is it that women are seen as utterly, uh, what's the word, what's the word? not useless, but we're not even worth investing in once we hit 30. What is this? And yet men are seen as worth investing in until the age of 34. What is this image that we're sending out mm-hmm. that after 29, it's like Leonardo DiCaprio's girlfriends, worthless after 28, 29. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? What is this? <laughs> so um, I put something online about this. And some, let's just say, privileged male responded. Isn't that your favourite? Yeah. Um, I think you'll find, your, you know, we had to deal with our voices breaking. And I was like, your voice broke at like 14, which is actually before most people really did anything that helped towards becoming a singer. Very few singers I know always wanted to be a singer. Mm. Slightly different. I just always wanted to do this. And I said, okay, so your voice broke at 14. My heart is bleeding for you after you stopped being able to sing treble in the cathedral choir. I've had a period every month since I was 13. So we tally this up. Do you want to know how many days have been? I used to have really quite bad period pain until I was about 22. And um, I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't leave the bed for at least 24 hours. I couldn't walk. And, um, and I said, so never mind, sing. Like literally mm. real life Mimi from her bed. Like, eh, eh, eh. <laughs> um, so do you want to add this into me? Because I said, that doesn't really work. And, you know, there's the time odor, but, you know, women have lighter repertoire. That is a lie. We have what's called FAHS, which is the breakdown of voice types. So you've also got soprano, mezzo, alto, counter tenor, tenor, baritone, bass baritone, basso profundo. And um, within each one, you have subcategories. So someone who sings Queen of the Night wouldn't sing Despina. Someone who sings Aida wouldn't sing Gretel. Yeah, so we've got different categories. I love that you say this and I'm like, yep, yep. Sorry, I know. Yeah, I love that you're so engaged on I'm like, yeah, did you get it? Yeah. Um, so what people don't Great, though. I love it. I love finding out about it. So what people don't understand is that, yeah, if you're going to sing maybe some lighter Baroque, uh, some of the lighter Mozart roles, maybe a Celina or a Despina, you might be ready to sing that at 26. Hell, you might be ready at 19. I'm saying nothing. But if you are singing Madame, but if your rep, if your fach is a larger lyric soprano or maybe like a spinto coloratura, you are not really going to feel at home in your repertoire at 26, 27. And what you'll have is someone saying, maybe at a college of music, great, you just take some time to feel really comfortable in that rep. You finally feel comfortable in your rep and an opera house goes, I'm really sorry, you're too old for us to hear you. 
But your male counterpart who's singing, you know, the equivalent rep in the equivalent opera, let's say Verdi or Puccini, he can be 34 mm. and still be hard or still be in the competition. And the real issue we have, and this is something we cannot change, is that within opera, there are so many more roles for men. I made a list on my phone, which is the number of operas that have less than three female principal characters. Okay. Hydrating. And um, it's... Hydrate away. Hydrate away. It is a substantial amount of them. And what I've witnessed... Will you send me it? Because I'll send you, yeah, yeah, it's, it's really interesting. To, yeah, it's really interesting. We can't, you know, we're not changing that. I love opera, I'm not bashing it. I, I don't like people that are opera singers and then constantly just bash it, sort of like biting the hand that feeds you. I adore opera, I love it. I love the world, I love the sound, I love costumes, I love all the arsey parties that you go to. <laughs> but there are, for example, Tosca. We'll take Tosca. Someone will listen to this and will correct me. I'm speaking off the cuff, people but someone will be like, keyboard warrior. I think you'll find. But you've got Tosca. If you're a soprano, you can sing Tosca in Tosca. That is it. I don't think there is even a secondary female character in that. Then if you are a man, you have obviously the principal ones, so Cavaradossi, Scorpio. It's a great death scene. But then you have a messenger, uh, a torturer, a priest. A shepherd boy, uh, another torturer, it's quite a lot of torture. Um, and maybe like a notary or a doctor or a coffin maker or something like that. So there are smaller roles. So if you're a guy, you could get some principal performance opportunity mm-hmm. saying, oh, I was lucky enough to sing the torturer at one of the opera houses or at one of the festivals. And someone goes, that's brilliant. There's principal role experience. Yeah. What do the girls do? We don't. We don't have anything. We either are the principal, the titular, titular. How are we saying that word? Titular, titular, the title role. Titular, titular. Yeah. Titular. Principal. I would say your principal. Yeah. So the name, so if you would like the name of the opera, you are that role. Um, But that's all. Yeah, the title role. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yeah. but that's really all you have. Um, so it's it's really difficult because we're already fighting an imbalance mm. that cannot be fixed. And so there's been a lot of talk about how to make opera more inclusive in terms of uh, trans rights and stuff. I might be speaking out of turn, but I've always felt that the opera world in particular was always very LGB friendly because... TQIA. Uh, but the TQIA, obviously is the harder one for the opera world. So LGB yeah. always, I think, been really open in the opera world, whereas the TQIA is the one that's starting to come through with some, there's been quite a few uh, stories this last year of houses uh, having some trans singers. But I don't want people to not think that there's still a fight for... Females. Females, yeah. yeah. So whilst I think it is great that you can feel that we are equaling LGBTQI and A, there is still a bit of a fight for women because oh, no, there's I think still that's fair. a bit of a way to go for us because we are working against a natural imbalance of yeah. roles. Um, but on the plus side, as a soprano, I'm never in competition with a man for my job. Mm. 
So, is know. it the same in opera as it is in the acting world that there are always more females? Because in the acting world, there are less men and more roles, and I, I will more females and less roles. Mm-hmm. There is a statistic. I'll try and send it to you. They did a, a competition last year where you had to sing behind a screen and you weren't allowed to tell anyone your name. It was a sort of um, experimentation one. Uh-huh. And they posted the percentages of how many sopranos additioned. Okay. Now, I can't remember this, but it's something ridiculous. Like if there were 660 people additioned, 440 of them were sopranos. <laughs> wow. Um, so it is a lot harder. And so what you'll find is, I think being a tenor, I can say this because I have a lot of experience watching them, being a, <laughs> being a tenor <laughs> um, is a, a harder voice type. The physical demands, I think, on a tenor are the greatest. And it's the smallest pool to choose from. So the pressure on them is harder mm-hmm. because if you are sick as a really great tenor, you will be pressurized from the house to sing because Mm -hmm. they don't really have an understudy for you that is going to be quite up to the same level as you if you think of the top tier. So that is more difficult for them as a physical demand. The writing of the music, I think, is really demanding. It's it's really, really tricky. Um, Whereas if you're a soprano, your difficulty is that there are 17,000 of you. And so you can't really, if you're feeling sick, I mean, there's someone going, um, I always knew it. I could, yeah. I could sing. Yeah. And <laughs> um, so I think there are swings and roundabouts in terms of going, what's more physical demanding, what actually has a greater difficulty level because of saturation. Um, and then I don't like the fact that people will try and pit sopranos against each other. Yeah. That's something that, does that happen in acting where they just pit actresses against each other? I mean, yeah, they, yeah, there is that. I think, though, um, I mean, Scotland is very different, so I can't talk about any, like, you know, anywhere else. But I think because everybody knows everybody up here, yeah, there's very much an idea of community as well. But yeah, you are, you are pitted against each other. You absolutely yeah. are. I saw something yesterday on Twitter, and I, I don't think we myself. like. No, I don't. I, I can't think of a female actor that I would think would like that because actually most of the female actresses that I am surrounded by really supportive of everyone whether it be male or female Mm -hmm. or female identifying or trans or non-binary like we want everybody to have a fair share. I also think at the end of the day and this is how I feel I just want opera to be the best it can be I don't Mm -hmm. care uh how it gets there in that sense of going just can everyone try and be their best self and if that comes preferably from being nice to each other Mm -hmm. maybe just don't be a dick to each other yeah you know like it is it is possible so this um post on facebook said or uh, twitter said something about if you are a an artist and a performer and your friends are artists and performers they are not your competition they are your inspiration Mm. unfortunately I disagree with that because unfortunately if there are four sopranos going for a job one of us is getting it and three of us are not so actually they are your competition so I would like to amend it which says if you're a performer and your friends are performers 
they are your competition, but they can still be your pals. Yeah. Because you but, don't well, have I could, to. But I could see, I can see that though. I would look at that and go, okay, well, they are your inspiration as well. You can't say oh, that they're not. I totally n- agree. No, no, no. I totally agree. One of my favorite videos of all time is uh, a friend Me of mine. clapping at your singing. Oh, shit. No. Um, is, so we were out in Norway uh, in November doing uh, Sweeney Todd for uh, Bergen National Opera. And we were all staying, we were all put up in a hotel. And one of my really, really good friends called Sarah Jane was on the tour with me. We hadn't seen each other uh, in a few months. And so we're just like, this is great. We're going to be in the same place together for a couple of weeks. This will be great fun. So there was a piano in the hotel. And so we had a reception one night with drinks and stuff. And I just sat and started playing, just randomly playing some A Star Is Born. I think I played shallow. And this turned into a three and a half hour jam fest of singers just going, can we have this one? Can we have this one? My favourite video of all time is my friend Sarah Jane, who is a powerhouse of talent. I love this girl. She is singing um, Dream Girls, and mm-hmm. I'm telling you, I'm not going. I'm sight reading away at the piano, quite dreadfully, and she is knocking this out of the park. And one of my favourite things in this video, because we didn't know anyone was filming us, we are literally just jamming. The looks on my face when she does something so extraordinary and I turn to her I'm just buzzing off of her talent and that is what I love I love when you can find people that there is not a hint of kind of jealousy which is that nasty underlying but it is just sheer appreciation of going girl you are a queen and that video makes me smile every single time and at the end we just scream with joy that she's done it so well and it's not me going I'll never be able to sing like that because I will never be able to sing like that um but she's so astonishing I absolutely love it and I love when I see people that do a brilliant job and I'm just like yes go on yourself do you know I think it's interesting though because I think it competition is one of those funny words it's a bit like you know you're a bossy girl or you're nasty or whatever mm-hmm. it's like competition has um, negative undertones and we're made which it to doesn't think have, it to have, have to be yeah and I think maybe that's like that scene that you were saying it would be we are in competition but that doesn't mean that you have to dislike someone you can actually use that Mm-hmm. as um fire for you um excitement for you and actually just the joy of being up with someone who is at your level if not higher so you're yeah. pushing yourself further mm-hmm. exactly it's I always think it's like tennis tennis is my favorite sport to akin to singing I saw a lovely video the other day of um Federer Nadal facetiming during this and I thought there are people who have constantly taken points and money from yeah. each other and yet they have the utmost respect for each other because that's really how it should be you're in competition but as long as you can accept that I am talented that person is talented and today it swung his way yeah Uh, Nadal and Andy did one today as well just oh Andy did you see Andy was in a kilt with a princess tiara on the other day I think he was playing dressed up with his kids Love and the it. two of them are girls and I think yeah. they went daddy can you put on your skirt <laughs> <laughs> your skirt we love him Love it. yeah Love so it. I think that's um yeah that's how it should strive to be is mm-hmm. the kind of I really want to ask street. a question about 
Um, yes. Aging as a female in the industry. So you've already talked about, I know, you've already talked about the competition and the ages, like that mm-hmm. it's fairer. But what happens once, you know, you're into those later years? So we are really, really lucky. Um, we don't really conform to the, you guys have like a playing age, don't you? Yeah. So if you, yeah. yeah, we don't have that at all because we are completely bound by what is on the page in terms of the score and the music. So for example, I think this is the most famous analogy to use, the role of Chocho San, Madame Butterfly. She sings a line about being 15 mm. years old. Child bride. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and there is no one, I don't think anyone under the age of 30, again, someone will listen and go, actually, I'll think you find the... I mean, Cynthia, to be, to be honest, babe, the people that um, would say that defos don't listen to our podcasts, so <laughs> don't don't worry. That's fine. Uh, but Chocho San, I mean, people sing Chocho San into the fifties. I mean, it's ridiculous. And so, there's no real age limit for us. That's one of the really wonderful things is that once you're in, mm-hmm. <laughs> once you're in, it doesn't really matter what age you are. Yeah. Um, we also only have sort of live broadcasts at the very very top level mm-hmm. um so the likes of the Metropolitan Opera House the Royal Opera House yeah I know I've done some broadcasts um so that brings that does bring in something else because that's what I hated about the Amore stuff I hated that about Warner Brothers opera in terms of how to sing it it's really fucking hard yeah <laughs> like to do the technique that is required for some things is not beautiful you can't and I'm using my fingers like this beauty this facial beauty that everyone aspires to honest to god babe there are no nice pictures of me singing because like I've got a flared nostril I'm doing like an <laughs> evil I'm like inhaling my palate as high up as I can so like this I mean it's just not attractive but when you're on stage totally true I'll send you some uh, but when you're on stage it's so far away that actually the emotion that you are portraying kind of surpasses your face if that makes sense mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. it's so much more than that and so unless you're doing a live broadcast no one's got a camera in your face and that's what I hated about the Amori stuff I remember singing some Traviata on the National Lottery <laughs> I remember this so vividly and um I just felt so uncomfortable that there was a camera so close to me as I was singing like B flats and I just thought this is just so invasive. And then I got into the dressing room and saw it back on the screen. And guess what, babe? I cried. Shocking. I cried. <laughs> and I went, why do I look like a pumpkin? <laughs> I just got, I had this like big ball face and um, it was just so awful. And I've got- Ball face is such a Scottish phrase. I can tell that you've been home for one. like three weeks, four weeks. Ball, big body, dear ball and, um, <laughs> And I just thought this is so awful and it's just not meant to be here. It's a different art form. And so the kind of making vowels at these pitches, if you're saying, you know, there's a lot of vicious, there's a lot of death happens, a lot of dying. Um, So aging for us is different Mm -hmm. when you are in doing the roles. The aging thing that's awful is this. I had a meltdown turning 30 and a lot of it was to do with because well, I lost effectively two years of my life because of the cancer. And so those couple of years, just drop that one in there. <laughs> That's fine. Like, I'm not laughing at the fact that she had cancer, guys. It's just I'm laughing so at the way she said it. 
just drop, drop it in. The so I lost, that was 28 when I was diagnosed. Uh, and obviously it was, I had a cancer in my neck. Dreadful, dreadful place to have cancer as an opera singer. So I lost the final few years that I was eligible for stuff. Mm-hmm. So that had a real, real negative impact on me dealing with turning 30. I genuinely felt like Joey from Friends. Um, and I, I do hold that quite responsible for making me feel worthless as a woman at 30 because people just wouldn't hear me I thought this is ridiculous what do you do if you've come to it late Mm -hmm. late being 25 and you start studying which is completely acceptable if you are singing a role at the age of 50 of a girl who's 15 why must you be ready at 27 yeah this obsession and so we are lucky that we don't have the same kind of scrutiny on how we look or face I'm so obsessed by my lines but you know that we don't we don't have the same issues as that because we play ages that are just so ridiculous yeah um which is one nice nice thing for us I think you guys have a much much harder deal than us yeah do you want to talk about the cancer yeah we can talk about the cancer that's all right <laughs> I'm fine now we can talk about it <laughs> which bit do you want to know well I mean obviously like I I know because I can remember yeah. coming to see you and um, I was saying that to my mummy tonight and I was like Elaine who was here when you were on the sofa do you remember what happened uh-huh. right so I had so I had an operation I had thyroid cancer um and I had an operation done in London uh and then I was driven back through Storm Doris to recuperate at home my parents had just moved into this house do you remember this Mm -hmm. and the wall had been taken down in the front room to expand but they had to stop the building works whilst I was home so that no dust would go into my wound and they I basically lived on the sofa because I mean I couldn't even I couldn't even sleep without pillows being propped up at such a magical time and um it was the worst timing because the house was full of visitors, of people coming to see me. And the carpet had been half ripped up to make the wall come down. And it was just this ugly carpet. And my mother, every time anyone came to the door to see me, welcome to the house. It is a work in progress. The carpet has been ripped up. And the wall has been taken. <laughs> the poor woman never had more people in the house and it never looked more ghastly. It was absolutely fine. It was not ghastly at all. I oh, remember going as a babes. I'm not noticing. <laughs> I mean, I was just there in my joggies looking awful. Uh, so I think that detracted from the um, the carpet. Yeah. So uh, no, so I found uh, a tumour. I, f- I found it. Everyone always says, how did you know? Uh, did you have symptoms? Um, but I found it because I was warming up for a concert. Um, and went to the GP and said, uh, I think there's something wrong. And this is a thing. I think happens to women I don't think people take female opinions on medical things or pain or your body seriously or as seriously as they should as they should yeah Yeah. so I think if you look young and healthy the automatic assumption is I'm sure you're fine yeah which is exactly what the GP said to me because I was 28 I am a relatively healthy person not quite Thor but I'm healthy and um I getting there though. I am getting there, getting those guns. And um I pushed for a scan. She was happy to just send me away. She said, um, I think it's just a, a build up of saliva. All right, babe. Um <laughs> and 
I was like, well, I don't, sorry to shit on your medical degree, um, but I don't think it's that. Um, I am an actual singer and this is my tool and I know yeah, my voice. So. I was like, it's way too close. I said, this is too close to my voice for me to let this. And at that point, things were starting to go quite well. <laughs> I was getting some additions. I remember I was flying out to Switzerland. I was in the final round of a young artist programme over yeah, there. Yeah. And so I remember being on the floor of this young artist programme going, there's a lump sticking out of my neck. I don't think this is right. Um, and then I had the scan in the January and I got a phone call that night. So I had this lovely radiographer and the most grave phone call. You know, in movies where it's like everyone's having a nice time and then this like devastating call comes in and it's so <laughs> melodramatic. It was actually my life. It is an emergency that you call the GP. I was like, oh my God, maybe work on your bedside manner. Um, so I went the next morning. This was all myself, like little sad single Monica in London going, I'm just going to go myself. Every performer will know this feeling. You know when you're going to go into an audition and you're all sitting in a waiting room and you kind of feel like you might need to go to the toilet because your tummy just feels like it's mm-hmm. so unsettled and you're like, mm, this doesn't feel good, I need to cleanse. That was how I felt times about five. <laughs> because I was like, this is worse than any audition yeah. waiting room feeling. But it's the same thing. It's that same. I really hope that what happens in this room is good, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it might not be. Um, and this not very nice man uh, said to me, oh, yeah, um, so it's not looking good. Uh, you need to have a biopsy. And I was like, I'm, I'm sorry, what? Because immediately, I think if you hear that word, you just think cancer and then you see yourself being bald and then you see yourself dead. Mm-hmm. That's really the sort of five second, that's it, gone. And then he said, so we'll need uh, head and neck, we'll need to have a referral to do with surgery. And Monica starts crying. <laughs> and um, I just remember thinking, cut anywhere else in my body. Yeah. But don't cut my neck. Because it is the it is like my child. I sacrificed my life. It's like I didn't go out ever as a teenager. I barely drink. I everything I do is to make sure that my voice is in the best place so that I can sing how I've dreamed of singing. So of course I start crying. <laughs> I don't really want anyone to cut into my neck. And um, this man said to me, "I don't know why you're crying. It's not like your tumor is on your larynx." And I was like, it's really really unhelpful. Um, And then after that, everyone was lovely, actually. So I had a biopsy done. And then I went in. I think I've told you this story. So then my mum came down for all my hospital appointments. And I went in to get my results. And I thought, I'm putting on a bold lip because good things happen happen when you wear a bold Mac lip. And... um, there was me. I think I think because we were both obviously going through stuff then. Because yes, 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 yes. Because that's when you came over. Yep, yep. And uh, I think I'm sure the day you went in for your biopsy was the day I was going to find out if the if the fetus was still. Yes, because it was I all was so similar time. I was in a Mac when you sent me the picture of the pregnancy because cure Monica crying. I cried in a Mac. <laughs> It should be a drinking game, right? We'll do a drinking game. How many of Monica's stories resulted in her crying? Right. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, and it was it was exactly the same time because I remember yeah. being in embankment as well with you, yeah. texting you when I was at embankment uh, on my way to rehearsals because um, we were both in sure, hospital at the same time. Yeah, and I'm sure we both mm-hmm. said, okay, it's a bold lip day tomorrow. It's We did. So I went in with my bold lip. My mum was like, how are you feeling? I was like, I feel fine. <laughs> and then we get in and they just went, not good news. And I went, I don't feel fine. <laughs> Um, yeah, and it's it's a really surreal for anyone listening who's had the same thing. It is the most surreal moment because you actually you don't want to be stupid and be like, "Have I got cancer?" Because you can't because they use different like medical diseases of carcinoma, and I'm like, "Could someone just help me? Mm. Like, what is this?" My poor mother. I mean, it just broke it broke her. She couldn't. She really struggled. I don't have children. Uh, I have a niece and nephew, and I would die we've said this about yeah yeah I would die for them um so I can't imagine anything worse than hearing that your child is sick is sick yeah um and I think it's that ultimate I would sacrifice myself to make this fine um so she's getting like hugs from all the staff at the hospital because everyone thinks she must be the ill one because she's like sobbing into the elevator um yeah so I just thought am I going am I going to lose my hair Am I going to lose my voice? Am I going to die? Those are like the three, the top yeah. three. Um, so I was, I had to cancel singing stuff, obviously. <laughs> I was operated on a week later. Three weeks after that, I had to go do, three and a half weeks after that, I had to go sing in addition to all the major opera houses. What a disaster that was. <laughs> Don't recommend it. Again, for anyone who's listening, don't recommend it. Um, and then. I I was quite stubborn. I think a lot of women are just, I think we're really proactive. Mm. I don't think we wallow. I think we go, here is, I don't know if it's that kind of mother instinct that mother nature gave us of going back in the day, like you would be the one looking after the cubs. Mm-hmm. And so you've just always got to problem, solution, solve. So I kind of just powered on through going, I'm just, remember when you came, I was like, I'm just using dark humor. I'm just pretending I'm, I'm not sick at all. Mm-hmm. That is my way through. Um, and then, so I actually did not to have another operation in order to save my voice. So they could do what's called completion and take out the other half so that it will never come back, but they can't guarantee not doing damage to your voice. So I just went, mm, what, like, give me a percentage here. What might, what might do? So we had weeks to also go through this this isn't like a rash not having it (laughs) decision um but I chose not to have it but I didn't know this that women under the ages of 35 uh are the biggest or like that 35 year old women roughly we are the biggest risk of thyroid cancer I had never neither did I and so it was this real big thing for me because I think you everyone knows like the copper feel yeah, you know mm-hmm. that's got this uh, publicity, and everyone go get your smear test. That's got publicity, um, but I don't think thyroid cancer has any of that, and it's it's uh, a less aggressive mutation mm-hmm. as a cancer. Um, so it's one of the highest survival rates, which is great. Yeah, but it doesn't make it any less traumatic. Yeah, of course it doesn't, and and it doesn't stop it because if they leave it long enough will spread and it will spread and that's when it is going to mutate in somewhere yeah. else and that's 
where it's going to be just as awful is the ones that have more publicity around them. So I'm babe, everyone check your neck. But that is true like though. We've got a fly at the front. <clears throat> no, but that is true though, because most people would be like, oh, it's just a bit of a sore throat or it's hay yeah. fever or it's whatever. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, you're absolutely right to yeah. want to try um, And I didn't know that it was mainly women under 35. That's... Nope. It's it's a real it's a real thing uh, in terms of trying to get awareness and. Did you feel that? Um, did you feel anybody kind of put pressure on you just to remove the rest of the thyroid so that it was gone? Did you feel that you had to fight for that decision? No, I didn't have to fight for that one. I had to fight for. I knew something was wrong with my voice from the year. I was told, be patient. Do you know what it's like, actually? And a lot of women will understand this analogy. See, if you go on a pill, if you're given a pill and it really doesn't agree with your body Mm. and you go back to the doctor and you say, this pill really doesn't agree with me. And what they say is, just try it for a bit longer. Mm -hmm. Why? Why is the response always to make our body suffer more or to tell us to deal with more pain, more insufferable consequences of something instead of just going let me try and fix that straight away for you yeah. and so my I have a wonderful wonderful consultant uh, Mr Simo hi Mr Simo he is such a wonderful man and he was so supportive of my decision he has been one of my favorite people this whole process I love him right just lovely um but the problem I had was that Everyone was looking at the cancer site and checking. So I had more biopsies done on some. I've got one or two wee dodgy lymph nodes that we just keep an eye on. Mm-hmm. So biopsies on them, constantly checking my bloods, but no one was checking from the singing side of it. Mm-hmm. And I just knew something was wrong. And how many times have we heard this said to us, drum roll please, it's in your head. Mm-hmm. If I hear that phrase, one more time about women in pain or women in knowing something like gaslighting in relationships yeah. when you're like something's wrong with you and some guy goes it's in your head it's really not yeah <laughs> consistently I think we're proved right yeah <laughs> um so I said something still doesn't feel right I think my top note should be back by now give it to, I think you're just worrying about it I think it's mm-hmm. you I I don't I think it's my neck but never mind uh and so then the NHS lost my referral to get it checked to see what was going on, resulting in last de- so December 2018, back in Bonnie, Scotland, I was in the middle of uh, the Messiah and I collapsed in the middle of an area. Yeah. And that was sort of the turning point for people finally taking seriously that I'd been saying something is wrong. Yes, yeah, so it's the fact body. that you had to collapse uh, yes. for it to get taken yes. seriously, though. It's like how when many you'd times... be like, I know my body. How many times do women say, I know my body, I know this is... No, no, it's fine. And it's just this downplaying of pain, downplaying of symptoms, and we yeah. sort of subconsciously accept it instead of being... Because we don't want to be seen as that annoying woman who's mm. constantly on the phone. Um, so then I went to see... I had to see my surgeon in the March, and I had all these other... T- I had to do all these tests on, like, heart tests and hooked up to monitors. Honest to God, I was like, oh, God bless the NHS but I don't want to be in hospital again. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then my surgeon said, oh yeah, your neck's basically completely twisted. Your insides are screwed. He said, he said, I do not know how you're still able to sing. 
he said, you can't sing properly until this is fixed. Um, which is just awful because you think I have been, and I'd cue Monica crying. <laughs> I, I was like, she's done so well. She hasn't cried. No, you were doing really oh well. God, and then I, I was like, I was so, like, I was like, here we go. Here we go. The tears no, are coming. No, and yet. I find, I think, I don't know. And I, this is the other thing. You I cry, babe, no so you're allowed to cry. Yes. And as a woman, I make no apologies for the amount that I cry. And I will not have someone call me some over-emotional woman as if it's some negative thing. I cry. I fucking pull my socks up and get on with life. Not a wallower. I'm a crier. It's a very big difference. But even if you wanted to wallow, you're still allowed to do it. It's that idea of we're not allowed to feel. We're allowed to do so, yeah. 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 Um, so thankfully, not, once that got diagnosed and I had physio and speech therapy and nonsense, so I have the most wonderful, wonderful physio now who is transforming my life. Um, if we could just get out of lockdown so that <laughs> I could get back to see. I had one of those dreams last night. You know the kind of trauma performer dream? yeah. I had a dream last night that I wasn't allowed to have physio again on my neck and then my top notes never came back and I wasn't allowed to sing any of the rep I wanted to sing. This is what life as a performance is like. <laughs> um, so hopefully, fingers crossed, we are at the end of what I call the cancer chapter <laughs> in that it's so close to now being yeah. totally fixed. I mean, they're really sort of moving bits had like fused together and, and twisted round and muscles had just grown that not grown but bulked up that shouldn't have been there because they were supporting the trauma they're supporting the trauma and also I did go and this is a a really important point to make I um have also found the most wonderful therapist because the emotional trauma psychological trauma that having my voice attacked by a cancer did to me yeah was again something I just downplayed and well you just it's the shire babe you just power on through mm-hmm. it's shit but you just power on through and there's only so much powering on through you can do before you collapse on stage in the middle of an area in a white dress when you get your period what an awful combination <laughs> <laughs> i've been really you couldn't make it up uh so i find and actually she has been incredible at helping me to deal with I mean, I had quite bad anger issues last year to do with, I mean, just life, which can often be really hard as well. Personal life can be hard. Professional life can be hard. Health life can be hard. And it gets too much. And this trauma had just turned me into a really, really angry person. Um, and so you just have to go, do you know what? I, I, need, I need someone to help with this. If I have mm-hmm. someone helping the physical side, why would I not have someone help the emotional mental side exactly exactly surround yourself with a team yeah so good friends good food thor and <laughs> yeah and and any and medical therapist yeah absolutely because we can't do this all ourselves and your no. girlfriends are great to bounce stuff off of but everyone has the limit of resources about what they can help you with pay a professional if you can <laughs> Yeah, if you can, yeah. Or seek it out through our amazing NHS. Oh, amazing NHS, exactly. Which is, we know, underfunded, etc. But, you know. Oh, God. Um, I think that, I mean, I know because I've seen you go through it. Like, you are... See me know, crying. I have <laughs> seen you crying. 
but you are um you're definitely for me when I think about persistent you are it (laughs) (laughs) that is me I mean that sort of like resilient not giving up I'm like I'm like genital herpes I'm just (laughs) I'm there (laughs) that is no amount of kind of lotion is getting rid of me still here still here babies yeah. But honestly, actually, on a serious thing though, like your voice as a singer and as a performer is such an intricate part of who you are as a human. Yeah. Again, like, it's what, if you're lucky enough to feel that way about this is what I am, what I am. Mm-hmm. I am a singer. I am an actor. Yeah. I am a nurse. No, do, you, do you say that? I say, I, when people say, what do you do? I don't see it as a job. I say it's who I, like, I am. Oh, I am. Uh Yeah, it's this kind of vocation. I think there are definite vocations. I think anyone who is in nursing or caring. Uh Absolutely. That is a vocation. Absolutely Absolutely astonishing. We're on the other side. Oh, God. (laughs) The patients. The patients. Patients and teachers. And so with us, I definitely, your entire identity, also rightly or wrongly a lot of your self-worth is based I mean my top notes were my thing from being a chick from singing oh come on you faithful 1997 and um the feeling that that is gone Mm. if you are a singer who doesn't have top notes what what does that make if you're a singer who doesn't sing I'm I actually said um on the day of my operation uh in the hospital I said um if you because it was really very close to uh, my laryngeal nerves was where they had to cut. So you have to sign your life away that if they damage your vocal cords, you will not sue them. Yeah. So I was there. <laughs> Cue Monica crying. <laughs> <laughs> if anyone playing a drinking game, I hope you're pissed by now. I'm going to put and this in my uh, intro. Don't worry. It's going in. Guys, play, a drinking, play a drinking game. game. Yeah. We're in lockdown. Start at five. Start, uh, start yeah. at five. Start, start at 12. <laughs> Five is late. I, um, five. I'm asleep by five. I have a nap. <laughs> and um, yeah, and so I said to my mum, I said, um, if they damage my voice, I would like to be left on the table to bleed out and die. And she like whacked me around the head. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be so fucking self-indulgent. <laughs> but it's true, like that is, and yeah, I, that was that was a wallowing self indulgent moment. But it is true in that you have this entire world from being a teenager, from studying, from moving to London, you move away from your family, you everything is yeah. all focused around this goal. You have this goal of one day, you know. There's a phrase that you think, "I cannot wait until the day I sing that with an orchestra." Like it's such a yeah. big thing, and and then inevitably what happens is a day will come and you'll sing that with an orchestra and what will happen Elaine you'll cry (laughs) (laughs) actually what happens to me (laughs) I think that happens to everybody I'm so aware like we're chatting for so much but I could talk to you forever but we'll finish it really quickly (laughs) maybe just need to do a part two way too much no I love it why are you apologizing don't apologize what we do this is what we do isn't it yeah because I'm like chatty Cathy never is like it's too much when I go to London and see Monica, I actually book out an entire day just for her. We do, don't we have to? We book it in. <laughs> an entire day in the bar. <laughs> oh, yeah, but we, there was that really good cocktail bar. 
yeah that's really mm. good that it was really, really good. good yeah yeah um I want to say I want to ask you something so we usually <laughs> ask people what persistent and nasty means to them but I kind of feel like you've covered it all so mm-hmm. what I want to ask you is if you could tell young Monica anything, what would oh, you do? Oh, don't, because I'll cry. No, I will cry at this. I can't. <laughs> this is like, honest to God, this is like RuPaul when it's like the final five and they yeah. bring that picture out of like, what would you say would you to say young to dad? And, and you're yeah. like, well, your mum's going to leave you at a bus stop, but you'll be fine. I can't <laughs> <laughs> Love that you picked Roxy Andrews one. <laughs> <laughs> it's so iconic. <laughs> oh god uh, uh, okay serious note um, I will try and not cry if I cry in the drinking game do people drink until I stop crying yeah like, I think this- so let's make that let's make <laughs> we can make up our own rules it's our drinking game <laughs> um I think how young are we talking like how young am I how much like seven <laughs> or like 12 and this is very very crucial to me okay actually no do you know what let's Oh no, that might be too much. I was going to say, let's do you three years ago when you just got your cancer. No, well, actually, that's an interesting one because I made a post the other day um, because it was my three-year, yeah, three-year cancer-free. And I have been reflecting a lot because thankfully, I really didn't feel it last year. Last year around this time was when they had diagnosed all the internal problems and I felt like this potentially was going to be the end of my career. And I was I, I was really struggling this time last year. I think year. you were allowed to say you were devastated and you were. And yeah, because I was supposed to be singing uh, in a Mozart opera uh, and I had I couldn't sing the role. Yeah. And it, yeah, it was really devastating. And I felt quite defeated for the first time. I was feeling really defeated. And um, so this year, things have taken a lovely turn and suddenly things are looking positive again. And I I was reflecting and it sort of coincided with what is happening in the world at the moment. And so I made a little post and I think it still applies, which is if someone tells you, I'm going to try and not cry, I think I can do it. If someone tells you at the start of a trauma, if someone had told me, okay, so you've got cancer and just so you know, two and a half years later, it's still going to be shit. I don't think people would know how to cope with that. I think if you tell people the burden that they have to carry, they will assume it is too heavy for them to get to the end. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the same in life, which is why people are always like, oh, would you want to know the future? And you think, no, because when you are in the eye of the storm, there's this wonderful survival technique that's organic with you. And it's sort of like at the moment, if everyone knows how long this lockdown lasts for, people will start to feel sort of lost inside it. Whereas if everyone's end goal is to get to the end of this period as undamaged as possible, there's a strength that you can take from that. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think I would probably say that it will be some of the absolute lowest points in your utter life where it is so overwhelmingly negative angry that kind of why is this happening to me and you watch people that are sailing through and that's a really difficult one to reconcile with um but then the 
wonder and satisfaction that you will get when you know that you have fought, climbed, trolled, cried your way back out of it, whichever analogy. I know a lot of people don't like this kind of war talk when you talk about health, but each to their own. This has been an actual fucking battle. There is no other way to describe this. Um, There is nothing like feeling that you have gotten somewhere that at one point was so unattainable because of circumstance. There's this wonderful thing in Nietzsche, and I'm I'm about to quote Nietzsche here, but it's about the difference between if you are climbing that mountain and it's absolute hell, but it is you that climbed it and you get to the top, there is this wave that will come over you as you see a view that you fought to get to, as opposed to if you imagine you get helicoptered onto the top. Mm -hmm. I don't think it releases the same chemicals in your body. Yeah. I don't know if it's an animal thing, whatever it is. Um, So yeah, I think you'd say to someone, don't tell them what it's going to be like is my advice. Okay. Because I, if I think of other things in my life when I thought certain periods of time were going to last a few weeks, and I remember thinking, I don't know how I can, how I can survive a few weeks like that. Mm-hmm. And then that situation went on for <clears throat> a hell of a long time. <laughs> and I remember thinking, <clears throat> isn't it comical that I didn't think I could last three weeks in that situation? Yeah. And here I am, <laughs> two years later, <laughs> crying. And um, <clears throat> yeah, so don't tell people how awful it's going to be. Okay. Is the moral of the tale because you tale. will be astonished at your inner strength that you will find as you go along. Otherwise, you have this is this the worst part? And then, yeah. even when you think the worst part has been, then you think it's over. And that's when you go all soft and then bam, second wave of shit. And you just have nothing left in you because you thought mm-hmm. that was it. So be persistent. Okay, thanks, Monica. <laughs> okay. Um, thank you, my friend. Thank you so much. Oh my god, I talk way too much. I'm so sorry. I've made myself hoarse. I can't go sing any others now. <laughs> <laughs> what? I wanted a song. <clears throat> Alive. That's, that'll be the next one. Thank you so much for joining us, Monica. Um thank you. I don't Yeah, so I love it. You need to come back on to part two because I'm sure you've got more. Well, I actually know you've got way more stories. <laughs> we concentrated on the nice ones that I could tell today. Yeah, we can do, we can do a part two. Opera part two. Okay, well, thank you, Monica. And as thank always, you, guys, stay nasty. We still have offers running for you all. We Edition are currently running the offer of 25% off the monthly subscription when you type in NASTY, all capital letters, 25 at checkout. That's NASTY25. We Edition are the environmentally friendly future of casting. Our other offers are still with Backstage for our actors. If you copy the link in our description, description box even you will get 12 months free monthly subscription to backstage and for those of you who are posting castings if you type in persistent and nasty all one word you will get free posting of castings 
really useful tool, especially in these days and especially for everybody when we're all trying to keep that little bit of extra money because we're not quite sure when the next job is coming in. But they are coming in, guys. Stay positive. It's happening.